we're going to be in, at this for a while <laughs> and you know we need to do all of it um and that's kind of the tenor of the legislative session is you know stop talking about little problems we need to throw everything we have at at the housing challenge listening to the AWC City Voice podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington's cities. I'm Sarah, and today we sat down with Gabby and Carl to talk about the important issue of housing. Let's get into it. Hi, I'm Gabby. I'm a member of the communications team here at AWC. This morning, I'm sitting down with Carl Schrader, who is the government relations deputy director in at AWC. Uh, covering building codes, environmental and natural resources, housing and homelessness, land use, um, and other issues as assigned, um, not to mention housing, which is what we're here to talk about today. Thanks for being here, Carl. Hi. Um, housing is a complex issue with lots of moving pieces and a difficult bar to reach, uh, especially with anticipated population growth in the state. Can you give us just an overview of the landscape of the housing availability, affordability issue from, you know, 10,000 feet up and what the problems are, what the goals are? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And this has been quite the session for housing issues. There's been more bills introduced by more members than I can ever remember. I'm working on this for a while now. And uh, partly that is because it is so complex. So there's a lot of folks, you know, introducing bills on certain elements to it, whether that be zoning or funding or permitting or any number of different things, SEPA. Um, <clears throat> the basic challenge I think that I've been trying to distill down is we know as of a bill that was passed a couple of years ago and the state is telling cities to plan for and accommodate a million new homes in the next 20 years. Um, of those, over half need to be affordable at zero to 50% of the median income, which is a income that's too low to pay market rents. Uh, if you think about it, the very end of that, it's people literally don't have any money to pay rent at all. So the private sector just will not build housing for people who can only pay that much. They need to be able to recover their costs for their materials and their labor, you know, uh, either through rents or home sale prices. And uh, that's just not possible. So we know that we need to have a major increase in public investment uh, in order to, you know, tackle that challenge. Um, and just as a piece of context, the state has a program called the Housing Trust Fund, which is the kind of preeminent investment program for low-income housing. It's been around since the mid-80s. Um, so what is that? 35 years and has built about 55,000 homes. So we need 10 times that many in 20 years, uh, and we're going to need a significant amount of investment to do that. One of the reasons why we're supporting the governor's bond proposal, which would send a uh, referendum to the ballot allow the voters to um, choose whether or not to invest $4 billion in housing, which we think would be great. And unfortunately, still only a down payment. Um, So the revenue piece we'll get into a little bit more, but I I think that kind of illustrates the challenge. And then there's, um, we've had a persistent underproduction of housing over the last decade. Uh, A lot of different factors associated with that. Some people believe it is restrictive zoning at the city level. Um, you know, we think there's a combination of factors. A lot of zoning authority has been provided in many communities and it's not being utilized. So it's not that that is the one thing that if we removed a barrier, you know, great. So it's tough to find like a single limiting factor. Yeah. yeah. One big one is the construction workforce uh, took a big hit after the last great recession has kind of climbed back to where they were. And they're now at their kind of peak in terms of uh 
number of folks in the building industry. But we heard information over the summer when we pulled our city officials together um, and we had a group called Echo Northwest do a data dive for us on sort of the challenges with the housing market. And they said basically we would need to have 25% increase in the construction workforce over their highest point ever in order to begin to make up the underproduction and these unit needs that we're talking about. And that's an underexplored part of this problem. Really, it's not a significant proposal uh, on that this year. And, and really, we need to figure out how to crack that nut for sure. So we're well into legislative session. And since we've just passed the first policy cutoff deadline, what can you tell us about the bills that have moved forward or that haven't moved forward? And what are you hearing on the Hill? Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I mentioned, there's just so many bills and they're very overlapping topics. So I'm, I'm going to try to talk about themes rather than bill numbers because right. we're not sure exactly which bill is going to be the <laughs> one that moves. Um, I think about it in terms of um, zoning, funding, regulatory reform, and infrastructure. And those are the things that we are supporting to try to create a package, a kind of a coherent and um, multi-faceted approach to address the challenge because you can't build housing if you don't have the infrastructure or the sewer and the water to connect to. State has um, an opportunity this year to reinvest in the public works assistance account and the connecting housing and infrastructure programs that they have funded in the past to help with this. Um, so the infrastructure side, I think, is looking relatively good. Um, we're hearing strong support for the public works account as well as that connecting housing and infrastructure program. On the regulatory reform side, we're uh, pushing ourselves. Our members have uh, supported um, eliminating design review boards, for instance, and some cities are still uh, uh, not supportive of that, so I don't want to overstate that. But the basic idea is, you know, we are in a housing crisis. We probably not the time to be arguing about brick patterns on buildings and, you know, sending things through an external process that can add, a, you know, months to the um, challenge. Instead, we'll, we'll support in, uh, having design standards that are applicable at the permit counter. So you can still have design standards, you just don't send it through a board. So that's one that's moving in a couple of different bills. Um, we're also seeing a lot of support for um, uh, addressing the overlapping SEPA review that much, many housing developments have to go through. So SEPA is a state environmental policy act, has to evaluate when governments take an action, like approving a housing project, you have to take an evaluation if and determine if they are gonna have a significant environmental impact or not. There are certain exemption levels for developments that just over time we've realized do not have environmental impacts because we have all these other laws in place now, stormwater, critical areas, shorelines, um, so we're supporting eliminating SEPA review uh, at the project level for any uh, developments that are consistent with our comprehensive plans. So we've already been going through a community process to develop where we're going to grow and how we should be evaluating the environmental impacts of potential development at that point. And then that will allow the projects to go forward quicker without um, delay. They will know what they need to do in terms of mitigation at the front end. So it eliminates uncertainty. So that's been supported by cities, counties, the builders and realtors, as well as the environmental groups who work on this, which is um, a bit of a shift. Uh, we've had conversations with them over the years for many years on this. And I think over time they've evolved kind of closer to our perspective that SEPA can be rolled back in, in limited circumstances and not harm the environment. Well, so that's really cool. Um, and then funding is, I mentioned the governor's bond proposal that is uh, sort of out there. It seems to be stalled out a little bit for right now. It is one of those things that is, you know, necessary to implement the budget, I guess they would probably call it, which means that, you know, they can probably move that without the regular legislative session cutoffs. So certain bills that are 
either really important or affect the state's budget in some significant way aren't subject to cutoff. Uh, so there's that proposal. And then we're actually spending uh, most of our efforts right now on the real estate excise tax proposal from uh, former Speaker Chop. That would provide a local option to cities to um, levy a new real estate excise tax on home sales and uh, property sales, 0.25%. So we did the math in terms of what a you know the average $400,000 home, how much the tax would be on that. It's about $1,000. What would the... Uh, appreciation on that home be over the average and you know it's in, by some metrics it's 20 percent others 15 which means basically the impact of that tax is swallowed up by appreciation in less than four days so we don't think it's going to have a negative effect on the market and then it also creates a new uh increment for very expensive properties over five million dollars uh, an additional level of state tax which would be invested again in affordable housing so that's really uh exciting that would be a significant new ongoing revenue source for cities and there's another one that we're supporting, which is called the Covenant Reinvestment Act, which is a creative way to provide uh, down payment and other home buying assistance for um, people who have been affected by the racially restrictive covenants in the early uh, and mid-century or their descendants. So folks who lived in the uh, state at that time or their descendants would be eligible if they met those uh, the characteristics that were excluded by some of these racist covenants. Um, so black, black individuals or families, et cetera. Um, and then it's going to generate about $100 million a year to make those sorts of investments. So that would be also a really significant impact uh, because we know homeownership is a really important thing for both wealth building and generational wealth building, as well as just getting stability in your housing costs because you get a mortgage and it stays the same largely. Or if you're in the rental market, we've seen these crazy increases year after year. So it's really an important sort of family stability mechanism right, as well. So that's one piece that's addressing or trying to address financially some of the low um, low income housing mm -hmm. needs as well. Yeah, absolutely. That and the real estate excise tax are both focused on housing for the lower income side of the equation that the market can't deliver. And then I guess we've buried the lead a little bit for a city podcast, but the zoning conversations are um, hot and heavy right now. Um, so we have sort of two major proposals the middle housing bill from Representative Bateman and Senator Trudeau, um, as it stands right now, has uh, different standards for different sizes of cities, but largely have to allow either a duplex or a quadplex on every lot, and then sixplexes near any major transit stops, and sixplexes anywhere if two are affordable. We have been working uh, diligently to try to find compromise on that bill. We were you know, directed by our board to try to find a version of, um, of some direction from the state that cities could support that would um, address the interests of those who think that zoning capacity is a major problem facing the housing uh, market. Um, but we it's thus far haven't been able to quite land that uh, plane. So we are still expressing concerns and desires for amendments. This is uh, one of these bills that probably will go till the very end, but at this point is in the House Appropriations Committee and needs to move out by the end of the week. Um, so we'll. And this is HB 1110. Yep, 1110. That's uh, one of the big ones this year. Uh, so we are we have provided the committee with um, an amendment that we would support, um, and they're going through their deliberations as we speak. So uh, we'll give you an update as soon as we can. And then the other big one is the transit-oriented development bill, which is a governor request bill. The main one is 5466, and that would require uh, pretty significant up zones within proximity to transit, which our members are actually pretty supportive of. 
especially as it relates to the light rail and the heavily, you know, the permanent invested uh, rail-based systems or bus rapid transit where you have some infrastructure. One challenge with that bill is it also ties zoning decisions to regular bus service, which is more of a transitory um, nature, or at least it can be, and it's not in the control of a city, so it's a little challenging to make permanent land use decisions around. Um, but the biggest problem I would say with the bill in terms of city perspective is that for a three quarter mile radius around um, any transit stop of, of any substance, including buses, um, pretty significant restrictions on the ability to regulate parking. And this is one of these philosophical issues we're facing this session where the private sector developers are saying, well, your requirements to build parking with our buildings is driving cost. And we'd like to eliminate that requirement so we can decide how much parking to provide. So it's a little funny because on one hand, they're saying it, parking increases costs. And then on the other hand, they're saying, don't worry, we'll build the parking because the market won't allow us to build it and we won't be able to rent it if it doesn't have parking. Um, the big challenge, I guess, in my mind is we're sort of, we know that people have cars. Even in Seattle, it's only 19% of families that don't have at least one vehicle. That's probably the best uh, city to be able to get around and on transit, right? Mm -hmm. So cars are going to be there for a while. They will have an impact. They take up space. And we're really facing the decision, do we want the community through their elected officials to consider that impact and, and address how to do it or figure out what to do about it? or assume and hope that hundreds of individual private developers will collectively make a decision that's beneficial to the community. And it's not against developers at all. It's just that's an awful lot of risk and ambiguity right. that, um, you know, we don't know exactly how that's going to work out. And so our cities really would like to retain that ability. And that's going to be one of the challenges, I think, with the session is that there's a, you know, a lot of push from the advocates side of this that, you know, eliminating parking is kind of a big goal of theirs. So um, that'll be another one that probably goes fairly long into the session. And is that a single bill or are there multiple bills? Yeah, unfortunately, this is one that's in a whole bunch of different bills, um, mostly tied around proximity to transit or um, different middle housing forms or ADUs. Gotcha. Um, okay, so we talked a little bit about zoning. Um, can you tell me a little bit about workforce housing? That's something I've heard some city officials talking about and or maybe this angle as it relates to zoning. Um, addressing the idea that each city is different, has different needs, needs to maybe retain some autonomy into their decision making. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, we definitely have cities who uh, have a, a different set of needs for housing across the income spectrum. So we have communities that uh, have a lot of naturally occurring affordable housing and they don't have that sort of next step up higher end housing. Um, obviously, that's less of an interest from the state to prioritize, but we are seeing a lot of these bills that are really based on spurring market rate development, which is good. We definitely need that. But again, it's not going to address the, the income challenges. And I think even up into that, what people call workforce, kind of your, you know, firefighters and teachers and nurses are the people that the examples that are given um, and even in those income brackets or what those jobs pay, it's very difficult to find any housing. So um, even if we do as like totally unfettered and are massively successful with getting the private market to build more, they will rent what they build at what the market will pay for. That's just economics. And the reality is the market rate is, is too expensive for folks. So we really do need to find ways to push that the cost down. Now, the advocates of, you know, sort of the um, most aggressive form of urbanism, I guess I would say, which is funny because cities were 
for density before it was cool, but um, <laughs> they they would say that um, if you build enough of it, it'll eventually drive the cost down. If you allow these alternative housing forms, they'll be smaller and they will naturally rent for a little bit less or sell for a little bit less. Um, that's true in terms of the size and what we're seeing. A little bit less is still un unaffordable is the problem. And then the, the big kind of like, if we build enough, it'll drive housing prices down. I just don't, uh, the folks I've talked to, including the economists from Windermere, say, told me basically, it's not that it will, if we were to mass see all of this housing built, it won't reduce prices. It'll, it'll take the pace of increase back down to what it used to be, five to 7%, let's say. But the problem is you've built this huge base now where home prices doubled over the last decade and now you're increasing from there. So if you're not reducing, we're really in a pickle. And, you know, it's pretty unlikely that the public and philanthropic organizations are, are really going to be able to put as much money as we need to into truly subsidizing that number of uh, units. So as an organization in cities who are implementers where the details are really important, we're um, having a little bit of a hard time because this is such a crisis and there's so much emphasis from legislators that they need to do something, quote unquote, that when we raise implementation challenges, it looks like we're opposing the idea of getting more housing built, which is absolutely not the case. We're trying to do that in a way that is actually effective. And to your point, cities have different markets. And you know the reason that housing isn't being built gangbusters in Tenino is different than the reason it's not being built to the pace that people would like to see in Seattle. They're just very different challenges. Urban land, very expensive, every little inch counts, adding a parking space is a, is a true impediment. Most, most of the state, that's a couple of bags of concrete to expand a driveway, you know? So we're facing sort of frustration from other people about raising those challenges, but it's really important for cities that we have the ability to reflect on our own specific issues. And we've been doing these housing action plans around the state, funded by the state for the last couple of years. One of the challenges that we have with these sort of top-down zoning approaches is that they would undermine or reverse some of the decisions that were made in a you know pretty lengthy and, and comprehensive community process. So, um, yeah, we're trying to sort through all of that. It feels like I have, um, I know I have 11 pages of single point font on housing tracker bills and side-by-side uh, I mean, -side matrices. It's, it's crazy. Of complexity. It's yeah. really impressive just to hear you talking about it because you've got such a great sort of foundational understanding of everything that's happening, um, you know, on all of these different fronts with their depth of their information. And, um, it sounds like a lot of people are working together in ways that they haven't before too, which is an interesting sort of level of complexity also. Yeah, I mean, just for an example, it was a kind of a good story. We have been working with the builders and the counties and the, the state and FutureWise, which is a large land use advocacy group around how do we reform the permitting process and provide a little bit more speed and also, you know, recognizing the challenges that individual cities have. And we're actually testifying in favor collectively of a bill at this point um, where we've opposed each other on those concepts for many years, trying to, you know, have more aggressive approaches from the builder side and resistance from the city side to do any changing. And so, yeah, that dynamic has changed. I mean, we're, we're ready to support a zoning bill right now as long as we can get it to a, a little bit more refined and targeted way. 
um, which would definitely not have been the case a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so are there bills that you're keeping an eye on that you have strong concerns about? Well, the parking stuff, I think, is the one that That's I the one. feel the most um, puzzled by the enthusiasm for, given the just the, the reality that we don't have um, a robust enough multimodal system in most of the state that people can actually get around without cars to get to the daycare or to get to work or school. If they don't all exist on the right bus lines, it's not possible in lots of places. And I mean, even not in Seattle, for, I've heard from some folks, even with a, with a family, you know, it's right. different if you're a young kid and you don't quite have as many um, obligations at any particular time or whatever, but um, you know, getting the kids in and out of the car for the first couple of years feels like going to the airport. At least it did for me. So, <laughs> Okay. So on the other side of that coin, are there sort of some small, but maybe mighty bills that you're watching that might have positive impacts um, on either the availability or affordability of housing that you think the membership should maybe know more about? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the, the one I would probably point to is neither small, but possibly <laughs> mighty is that that REIT bill, because that's going to be a real uh, challenge to get the legislature to approve, uh, because the realtors are a very effective lobbying organization, and they feel extremely strongly about this. Um, the commercial developers are also opposed to it. So, um, it's, I find it interesting they're asking cities and uh, you know counties and governments to you know move heaven and earth to support their industry so we're hoping that they'll eventually come to the table and um, help uh, address the challenge that they're a part of addressing we we believe so 1628 I would give a pitch for but in terms of a smaller bill um, there I think the move the bill that will likely move is um, Senator Mullet's bill, but it is a governor request bill around permitting efficiency and streamlining. Uh, we'll create some grant programs to help cities either, you know, modernize your permitting processing systems. You know, some cities are still on paper, but move to electronic. Uh, we're hoping it will authorize code audits where cities would be able to hire a firm to look at their development regulations and help identify barriers that could be removed to facilitate better housing development. Uh, and that one's not getting a whole lot of attention, but um, I think collectively those sorts of grants uh, will help, uh, particularly probably smaller and mid-sized cities um, who, you know, want to do their part and need a little bit of assistance. Gotcha. Um, so where would you say the issues of homelessness and behavioral health support intersect with housing availability and affordability? I oh, mean, yeah. That's, a, I know, another whole level of complexity, yeah. but are there housing advances or new policies that may have a positive impact on homelessness? Well, we hope that all of the affordable housing work ultimately will help with our um, homelessness crisis. We have so many crises, it feels like. <laughs> but um, yeah, the one of the big challenges with um, helping people get off the streets, especially if they have mental health or behavioral health issues, is it's very, very difficult. Most people would say impossible to get better when you don't have a roof over your head. So having the ability to have some stability and um, close the door and have some privacy and everything else really helps people. Um, it's a foundational necessity for getting better. You, you know, if you're in active trauma on the streets, you're not going to get, have the results that we all want. So um, part of that challenge of that 50% of median income 500,000 homes that we talked about earlier, uh, those are the sorts of people that will need to live in those homes, at least for a period of time. Um, we also obviously need more, you know, emergency shelter and, you know, kind of uh, 
immediate assistance as well. So it's a continuum, but um, really we won't see a, a reduction in the visible homelessness and the challenges that we're seeing on our streets without being much more successful on housing policy. Um, we also are just, we need more um, beds and service, um, what's, what's the word I'm blanking on, but you know. Service uh, facilities. Facilities, we have. <laughs> I always remember this example of um, a mayor saying from very rural city in Southwest Washington saying, um, you know, they had a person who had chained themselves to the flagpole naked and their police didn't have anywhere to take them, didn't know where, where to help this person get help. And um, we are doing a lot at the state to try to build that network, but really it needs to be, again, done faster and bigger. And that is one of our uh, other priorities that one of my colleagues works on is to support the state and the counties, particularly who run a lot of these facilities uh, to get the resources together that will help make a difference. Yeah. So again, those partnerships are really key. <laughs> what can members do right now to help move some of this housing policy forward? Yeah. So this is a great time. Uh, we'll be releasing this uh, podcast right after the fiscal committee cutoff. So the next stage of the process is that these bills will go to uh, the Rules Committee, those ones that are still alive, and then um, the, the two caucuses, ma majority caucuses, will determine which of those they end up wanting to vote for. And so this is the time to encourage your legislators either to support and help move the bills that you think will help, uh, amend the bills that you think are problematic or you know need a little bit of tweaking, or um, if they're just total no-goes, this is the time and this is where most of the kind of heavy decisions get made. Um, internal to the chamber, right? So the House is still dealing with their own bills primarily and the Senate the same, and we'll repeat this process, but this is a really important week or two uh, to communicate very clearly what works and doesn't work for your city. So really ensure, in, include your entire delegation. If you are in a regional group that has um, other cities involved that might have multiple delegations that uh, care, so we have regional um, groups that span multiple legislative districts, for instance, that's an opportunity to talk to different legislators who might not um, be focused on your normal you know, path. So the more the merrier, just keep communicating and then share that with AWC so we can reinforce that message. Well, today is February 27th and it's been a few days since we recorded our podcast. There were still some things in motion on the Hill and so we're sitting down with Carl again to just get an update on what's happened in housing. Yeah, so uh, the, the big news is the uh, middle housing bill, House Bill 1110, uh, moved out of the House Appropriations Committee with a few amendments. It changed uh, uh, a bit from the Housing Committee, and then there was a, a, a substitute offered that um, a number of uh, cities had some concerns about, so offered uh, additional amendments to that. Some of those were taken. So uh, the in general, the bill didn't change a whole lot, but there's uh, has been some refinement on the off-ramps around infrastructure and parking. And then on the other side of the uh, rotunda, I guess, in the Senate, uh, 5466, the transit-oriented development bill from Governor Inslee and Senator Marco Leas, also advanced from the Transportation Committee. So similar to the middle housing bill, that's uh, getting queued up and ready for floor action. Uh, similarly, had pretty much uh, minor amendments. So the biggest issues facing that for cities are still the pretty significant restrictions on parking in a three-quarter mile radius around transit stops. Carl, what can members do if they want to help with these bills or if they have concerns? Uh, so with both of these bills, uh, we're seeing bipartisan support. So it's um, you know pretty important if you have issues uh, remaining with the way that they're constructed, make sure that you're talking to your delegation, make sure you're sharing that with AWC. 
and uh, it's about to speed up. So uh, make sure you're doing that uh, as soon as you can. How can members stay up to date and involved on these important issues in the coming weeks? Yeah, well, a couple of big ones. We have a weekly call on Friday from 1230 to 1:15, which is there's a sign in link on our bulletin, which goes out every Monday. Um, that's a really great opportunity to just ask direct questions. It's a Zoom call with city officials and the, the AWC lobbyists. And we kind of give a quick update and then answer questions that anybody has. Uh, we also produce, as I mentioned, the bulletin every week. That's kind of our main source of update information. Uh, so make sure you're following that and providing any feedback that's requested. That's one of our main tools to you know, figure out where, where our cities are at on certain policies, especially as they evolve over time. So even if you've commented once, the bills might have changed quite a bit. And uh, just a shout out, we know that you're under uh, bill fatigue in terms of uh, reading and responding to all of these bills. So um, please keep it up, though. It's important and the details matter. So it's um, we like to do that. Um, and so did I miss anything? Is there anything else that's important for members to know that we haven't covered yet this morning? You know, I guess I, the one thing that comes to mind is tell your story to your legislators. I think there's this misconception out there that cities are trying to close the door on growth and are not interested in solving these problems. And I can tell you, spending uh, my my day talking to cities about these issues and talking to others about them, that's just not the case from where I sit. There's a lot of really good work that's going on. So you, you need to educate your delegation about that. They don't necessarily know that. And... Um, that is really important as we're talking about ways to improve these bills, that it's not that we're coming from a position of we just want to dilute them to the point they don't have any impact on us. It's really about how do we uh, make sure that they're really targeted and effective. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate yeah. your time. The AWC City Voice podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. As always, thanks for listening. 